Hi, everyone. Welcome back to Make Pods Great Again. Hey, before we jump into the podcast tonight, I've got a really special uh, message I want to uh, offer to you as some support for the city of Cookville, Tennessee. As uh, several of you have probably already heard, uh, on March 3rd, the city of Cookville and the surrounding areas were affected by devastating tornadoes. And the aftermath of that has resulted in multiple lives being lost. Just really a tragic event for that community. As, as most of you know, um, Cookville is the home of Rich Froning and, and Matt Frazier and the entire uh, CrossFit Mayhem family. Uh, and uh, we really just want to offer our prayers and support to them. Uh, Rich and the Mayhem team have uh, been helping Cookville by selling T-shirts and stickers and, and offering 100% of those proceeds to go directly to the aid efforts. And so I wanted to uh, support that by putting links uh, to those, um, those sales, both in my Instagram page for the podcast at Make Pods Great Again and the Instagram page, Make Watch Great Again. So you can go and directly buy those t-shirts to help in those efforts. Uh, so I'd really appreciate it if you guys could, uh, first and foremost, uh, keep the Mayhem family in your prayers. And secondly, let's support them as much as we can. And those families have lost so much uh, during this horrible time. So with that, uh, tonight's podcast is with Chris Henshaw, who is actually Rich's coach and lives in the Cookville area. And a uh, really interesting conversation with them. So we hope you enjoy. Welcome to Make Pods Great Again. I'm your host, John Woolley, content creator for the Instagram page, Make Wads Great Again. Welcome back, everyone. I'm here with my bestie, Nikki. Nikki, how are you? Hey, I'm good. No complaints. This is two nights in a row for us. I know. I kind of like it. It's like yeah. a date. It's like we have a standing date. Isn't that? I'm sure your husband loves that. That's <laughs> He's all. like, what are you doing with your life? We have like 10 minutes to see each other at the end of the night. And I'm like, bye. I'm going to podcast. Yeah. Well, you know, I don't think either one of us plan to do it this often, but we're, we keep getting great guests. And tonight we have an equally great guest uh, that uh, I think anyone that's followed CrossFit for any amount of time has heard about. Uh, Chris Henshaw is with us. Chris is... Um, you know, this is actually funny, Nikki. Like, I went to Google, Chris, and I literally typed in Google famous CrossFit coaches. I guess whose name came up first. Ooh, no way. Yes, Chris Inshaw, famous CrossFit coach. Chris, how are you? Good. I'm glad. That's the that's the intro, right? Yeah, yeah. that's the intro. <laughs> that's, that's the intro. A, Welcome that's to the good. show. That's enough call. Yeah. <laughs> well, for those that don't know, I mean, so, you know, we say, I say famous CrossFit coach, which I thought was funny when I when I saw it. But, I mean, come on, you've coached Matt Frazier, Rich Froning. Jason Kalipa, Catherine Davis' daughter. I mean, a few people we've heard of from one time or to time. Yeah. One or two. You know, they're pretty yeah. good. Yeah, I've had a lot of opportunity. I think that that um, one of the things that I've always believed in is that if you get an opportunity to work with somebody that can help validate your craft, um, then you got to go for it. Uh, there's there's a lot a lot of coaches out there that are very hesitant to that. You know, if they if they've created a champion or somebody that gets on the podium, you know, they feel that they can base their their entire programming foundation around that one person. And I've never felt that way, um, mainly because I think that I'm always in this constant quest to learn um, for myself, and and I always reflect back on my athletic days, and I think that that's what stems. You know, my interest in, in working with more and more challenging athletes, um, you know, it's that quest of, of athletic ability and, and I view myself as the athlete, but I also don't want to be a coach that rests on a limited number of data points. Yeah. Well, I think your ability and your uh, intent behind sharing your knowledge and sharing your, you know, vast 
experience <laughs> in sport and in, in things that uh, have aerobic capacity is really, really huge. And it's a benefit to the entire CrossFit community from games athletes to, you know, all of us that walk into the gym on a daily basis. For anyone who doesn't know, um, Chris is the owner operator brains behind all things aerobic capacity um, and coaches, as John mentioned, a million of the games athletes that we've, we've heard of and know and love in that respect. And um my husband and I were fortunate enough to take the course a couple months ago. I can't believe I've known you guys for so long and I've never, I haven't taken the course yet. So it was, it was a long time coming. And when we were in the middle of the course, I was realizing that Chris, you teach so much from experience, like all your data points and all your stories come so much from your actual experience and interactions with people that you've met throughout your life and throughout your training. So the stories that you told just about the people that we know and love from the games, like really caught my eye and I was like, or my ear rather, I guess. And I was like, we've got to have Chris on the podcast to talk a little bit about just some of his experiences with these people and in developing this training course and in, you know, your own experience from being an elite athlete, a little bit of a different kind. Um, But I'd love to start there if you can, just for the people who don't know a ton about you. Can you tell us a little bit about your own experience as a triathlete? Yeah, sure. So I... um... I was a, um, a a kid that was very late in developing. Um, I remember, so here's a data point. I remember being eight years old and not weighing 50 pounds. Whoa. And I remember that because I was the smallest kid um, in grade school. And I stayed that way. I was just very late in developing. I wasn't good in sport. And, you know, I, I draw a lot on those memories um, now as a coach you know, in, in coaching kids and, and also coaching adults, because you know what, if there's a lot of adults out there that have lost their fitness because of, you know, life gets in the way. Um, and they're a lot like kids. Um, but I was very late in developing. Um, but I, and, and I grew up in a household that was, was very competitive. Um, my dad, he was truly an athletic gift from the gods um, there was nothing that, and, and I don't mean that just, you know, I mean, all, all children look at their parents like that, but, but he genuinely was, I, I, he swam for the Olympic club in San Francisco. Um, and I want to say that he had at one point in time as a master swimmer, 21 world records Whoa. in various age groups and events. Yeah. He went to the world championships and masters and, and won every single event, huh. um, as a 40 year old. And that's the household that we grew up in. My, my brother and sister both went to UCLA um, swimming. Um, my younger sister went to Cal. Um, you know, all three of those are uh, attorneys. So very successful. So that was the house. Oh, yeah. So um, no pressure at all. At no, <laughs> but it was like kind of like every day when you're, you're, you were in that house, it was like these athletic things were, were almost normal. Mm-hmm. You know, that, that, you know, oh, well, you know, my brother Brad, you know, he got an all American status or, you know, and it's just, it was an everyday occurrence. Uh, and so for me, though, as a late developer, I didn't do anything athletically, nothing. And it was, it was hard for me as a, as a, a kid. And, um, I happened to be watching the Iron Man on TV. Uh, and if you've ever watched it on television, it's very inspiring the way in which they write those. And, I was watching it with my dad, uh, and he was not the easiest at times. And 
I just saw that event and I'm like, wow, if I did that, if I did it and carved out my own space, my own identity, and I finished, that no one could ever take it away from me, Mm -hmm. that I did something athletically. Well, I mean, I was 17 and a half years old at the time and, and, um, it just came out. I just, I just said, I want to do that. And the thing is, is like, when I handed that over to my dad, I mean, it's a lot of times, you know, when we walk into a gym anywhere where we're uncomfortable, we hand over this, this, this responsibility to this third party. And if they are, at the remotest part, condescending, if they're sarcastic, if they're negative, we'll just cower and walk away. Mm-hmm. And that power that my dad had in that moment, well, I'll never forget. And just to reconfirm, like we were talking about the same thing, he's like, so that's 2.4 mile ocean swim. And that's a 112 mile bike ride <laughs> and a 26.2 mile run. I just I want mean, to make sure we're on the same page here. Right. <laughs> well, because I've never done anything. Right. So this is your first, like, you sure you want to start and start up here? Okay. Well, I mean, that's the funny thing Nikki, is that like a lot of people, like, how do you get into that? And the way that people get into it is, is a natural progression, meaning they'll do a local 5k and then they'll do a 10k and then they'll branch up to a half and then a full marathon. And then they'll go, well, I might want to do a sprint triathlon. Mm -hmm. Yeah. To start off in Kona as your first that's that, but I didn't know any different. I mean, sure. I, you know, I remember training when I finally started that and I'll get back to that story. I, I, I didn't know how to train for running. And so I entered the Oakland marathon and cause I had to run 26.2 miles. And so how better way to train for a marathon than do it. Right. Totally. What Makes a sense. nightmare. That was no. a total nightmare. <laughs> Not and, you know, what's so funny problem. was, is that I'm sitting there on the starting line and I size up a guy that looked like me. Um, he was way older, probably twice my age, but he was super skinny. Well, I didn't know that that's what runners look like, right? That runners are lean because you got to carry the weight and you got to support the weight. Mm-hmm. And so I asked this guy, you know, cause I didn't know how fast to run. And he's like, you know, how, how fast are you going to go? I asked him and he says, oh, I'm going to go three hours. I'm like, well, that's nice and round. That's a good number. <laughs> I didn't know what even it meant. And I'm like, so how fast is that? Like per mile? And he's all 650. I mean, I kind of remember thinking, I wish it was like seven because it was Mm -hmm. round, right? Like I didn't know seven, eight, nine. I don't even know what it even meant. Mm -hmm. And um, yeah, that's how I did my first marathon. And, and uh, you know, what's funny is, is in that marathon, I was on that pace for, you know, over 13, 14 miles. No, no training. No. So anyway, so back to the story with my dad. Wait, wait, so, wait, 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 wait. What was your time in your first marathon? Oh, I have no idea. Never done or trained for. There was a nightmare. Uh, you know what? I remember the last few miles were like 10, 11 mile, minute miles. And, yeah, that's and, what normal people run the whole marathon at, Chris. I know, but you weren't <laughs> in my house. And so part of it was, oh, is true, like, true. I didn't win. And so what happened to you? Oh, you know, that, 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 the, the house was, was, the undertones, very competitive. Hmm. Um, but anyway, so I, 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 my dad reconfirms, you know, the distances in Kona and, and I look over and I, I, yeah, yeah, I'd really like to do it. And, Mm -hmm. and, you know, he responded back and he says, you know what, Chris, he says, let's make that happen. Hmm. And I always use that, like, let's make it happen. And I think about it all the time, you know, the power that he had, was one thing, but he also in that let's make it happen told me 
you're going to take a risk, but I got you. Mm -hmm. And that's what we want. We want people to take risk. And the problem is, is that, you know, in a lot of cases in the coaching world, what happens is, is that we, we tell athletes, this is what I want you to do. This is, you know, you're going to lift this weight. You're going to do this workout. Well, what if the athlete can't do it and they fail? Then ultimately they blame you as the coach. Mm -hmm. There's no ownership. And what my dad did was, is that this is a hundred percent on you. It's all on you, but I got you if it doesn't work out. Mm -hmm. And that's the difference between the two. And, and that, that, that conversation with my dad on day one, it, it resonates with me in everything that I do. That's how you coach. I, I, I do because I believe that athletes have a responsibility and coaches have a responsibility and it is important to involve athletes in the process, in the workout, get them actively involved because they need to own that workout. Once they understand that it's the highest value of their time and once they understand what the purpose is, what's the targeted stimulus of that workout, it's their job to execute it. I can't do that work. And so what I want to do is educate them on, on the value of what they're doing the best of my ability so that I could pass it off to them. So how in the world did you get from 17 and a half year old you who could blow away in the wind more than likely and mm -hmm. never really done anything athletic in the past to, and, and you're in your first Ironman, it's sort of like in your sights to the incredible accolades that you ended up getting and achieving as an elite triathlon. So when the gods came down and handed out um, athletic gifts, they gave me some really good ones. Uh, so in the endurance world, we talk about VO2 max, um, volume oxygen maximum, it's your aerobic capacity. I had a massive number in the movement of running. My VO2 in the movement of running was 89 to 90 milliliters per kilogram per minute. Um, What's that is average? a massive, it's an enormous number. Um, really? Even in the seminar that you were at, Nikki, I mean, my VO2 is 61, 62 milliliters per kilogram per minute, at, you know, in, in, in your mid fifties, which is off the chart. Hmm. Um, that is, is a genetic gift handed out by your parents, mostly on your mom's side. But my body fat back then was 3.2%. My muscle fiber Breakup is I'm 88% slow. Uh, my my lung capacity is 50% larger than average. I was really truly genetically born to do long time domains at very high rates of speed. And that's the thing is that a lot of the great athletes, well, all almost all of the great athletes, have a genetic predisposition mm -hmm. um, to perform. It's it's. It's not cheating, but it's an unfair advantage that, really? that others just weren't born with. And so what happened when I did the first race, it, 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 was, it was a rough event for me. It was an eye-opener, but it was, it was actually surprisingly fun. Sport to me was never fun because I wasn't good at it. I finished last all the time. And if you're always finishing last in something, you know what? You don't want to go back. Mm. And I didn't finish last. I actually finished okay. Um, and so I, I decided to work on a little more. Um, I started reading and learning and talking to other athletes, but I was still a tiny, 
I did one of my early triathlons and, and this is in 1982 and I was a good swimmer. Like, I, I mean, I learned, I got really good at swimming fast and triathletes back then were bigger. There was this belief that you had to have size to do something. It required strength to endure. And it was, it was in the infancy of the sport. And since then, the sports dramatically evolved where the athletes looked a lot like me. And, uh, I remember lining up on the starting line and we were doing an Olympic distance triathlon in Northern California, Livermore. And, uh, I'm lining up and this is after I had done Hawaii, uh, the first time. So, um, I'm lining up and I'm shivering. I'm freezing, freezing cold. And, and I'm so tiny. I had to weigh 130 pounds at this time. Oh my goodness. And, um, this guy behind me says, Hey, little kid. I'm like 18, right? But I look like I'm probably like 12. And I turn around as this big guy, you know, and he's got a full barrel chest and big hair and just this <laughs> man. And I was like, whoa. And I'm like, I, I'm like, I turn like, what? And then he says, if you don't get out of my way, I'm going to run you down. And I'm like, wow, I was so intimidated. I couldn't even believe it. Like it just like deflated me. But right then, there was a guy that was the best in the world at the time. His name was Scott Molina. And he said, hey, that's that Hinshaw kid. He can hold his own. Ooh. And that was powerful. Like, it's wow, I haven't told that story in phew, 30 years. That's crazy, Chris. And he's the best up for me. guy in the world. Otherwise, I would have bailed. Really? I would have just gone to the car and said, I'm done. That's how -uh. fragile I was. Mm. And so... You know, you, you, you get a boost like that. And those are the things that, that are the catalyst to keep you moving. And you know what, as soon as, you know, I was able to maximize my genetic gifts, I, I started having a lot of success and I stayed in the sport for, uh, boy, I don't even know how many years, seven years. And but with I was some with some serious titles under your belt at this point. Yeah, and I mean it was a lot of volume too. So I was swimming twenty five thousand meters a week. I was riding three hundred to four hundred miles a week, and I was running forty to fifty a week every week. I'd race a lot of weekends. Um, yeah, it was. I did three Ironman distances races um, at the end. I won a month. Um, yeah, the things that you're able to force your body to do uh, after all of that. Mm -hmm. Yeah, you're, you're, you're really messed up in that way. Like I look back on that and I'm like, wow, to think that I said to myself, and I remember saying this, I could do Ironman seven days in a row <laughs> and I could do it fast. You're brain damaged because you <laughs> don't realize that that's not normal. Right. Yeah. You're, you're so much in that world. It's like tunnel vision, right? It's like, yeah. And you're, you were a kid. I mean, in fairness, you probably could for a minute and then your body would break down for the rest of your life. Well, I mean, that's what happened to me is like, that's why I left is like, mm -hmm. I could make myself do these things, but you know what, in my own, like it would take me two hours to get out of bed in the morning because my feet, my ankles, and it just, I hurt so bad. Ugh. Yeah. So that's where I think like, you know, a lot of it, like in the CrossFit space, these athletes that are at the highest level they did that incrementally and they mm -hmm. don't even realize what they're doing and, and the difficulty because it seems normal to them. Right. 
Right. So how did you make the switch? And I, I total full disclosure, I know this story, but John hasn't heard it yet. So how did you find yourself making the switch from, you know, triathlons and all this training and being broken and to, okay, maybe well, this uh, CrossFit th- thing, this, this maybe I'll give this a try. <laughs> I don't know. This isn't, this, this, I mean, this isn't a very, I mean, so we all have our first time of CrossFit and, and showing up and, and, um, you know, I, so I had, I had been in a meeting over in Santa Cruz, uh, and I, I ran into Annie Sakamoto and, um, she took up an interest in me and, and I was kind of curious on this thing of CrossFit, but I misunderstood. Like, I didn't know there was affiliates. I just thought there was a, it was the name of the business, like CrossFit. Mm -hmm. And she said to me, she says, you know, Chris, you've done a lot of volume in your day, but it's in the same movement patterns over and over. And maybe if you, if you focus on and, and develop those neglected muscle fibers, you can become functional. And she told me about functional fitness. So this is way back in 2000, early 2008. And uh, she invited me to the mothership, you know, the, the, the original space and they were in this transition of moving from Glassman's original gym and SoCal research part to Santa Cruz central. And I finally worked up the interest to go into the gym, uh, that day. And, and, um, uh, it's an hour from my house. And, and you have to remember that, that even though I hadn't done anything, so I was 45 years old at the time and I hadn't done anything athletic. And, you know, since I was 28, uh, just because I, I couldn't, my body was, just messed up. And, mm-hmm. and, um, even though I hadn't done anything, that 28 year old personality and John, you, you would say the same when we talk about, you know, as men back in the day, we are reminiscing and getting ready to tell something about how, you know, badass we were. And back in the day, I was not intimidated. I really wasn't, I wouldn't win at everything, but I'd love to get after it and, and, see what I can do. And if I lost, I lost, but you know what? I'm going to cause some wreckage along the way with you. And that's what I carried into the gym. And I pull into the parking lot. Um, <laughs> I'll never forget what I saw that day. I just can't even believe that, that, that I had been into a gym before, but I had never picked up a barbell. And I knew that, that the plates were made out of metal. And I knew if it was laying on the ground, that it was hard to get unstuck from the ground. <laughs> I just knew of things as heavy. But what I saw was mostly women. And they were finishing the 9 o'clock class. And, and um, they were picking up. And do, they were doing um, clean and jerks. But I didn't know what it was. They were picking up a barbell and pushing it overhead. But they had plates on them, most of them, that were like, you know, and I'm like, wow, if that metal one was that, that must be three of those. That's got to be 200 plus 200 bars. I'm thinking 500. <laughs> I have no idea. And they're like doing a ton of them and dropping this thing from the sky. And I'm like, that's so dangerous. Like, but I remember thinking, wow, people, they can get strong. And I knew through my training that if I practice, my body adapts. I knew that. I knew all about cardiorespiratory adaptation, muscular stamina. I knew all about it. I didn't know about strength though. So I'm like, huh? Well, then they did uh, kipping pull-ups and they didn't do just one. And I'd never done a pull-up before in my life. And they were doing like thousands of them. And (laughs) for me coming from a swing background, 
imagine, so swimmers get these impingements in the shoulder because when we swim, we rotate to, in order to get the breath. Well, you get a swimmer's shoulder, which is mimicking the movement that you see in a kipping pull-up. There was no way I would attempt that because it literally would pop my arm off. There's no way. And, and, and they were doing so many. I mean, I remember at, at Santa Cruz Central, the pull-up bars are in the roll-up doors and you could see them. And by this time, I'm slouching down in my car and watching them do these kipping pull-ups in the rear mirror. And I'm like, oh my God. Like, and then the anxiety hits. Like you mm-hmm. realize, like, I am not who I thought I was. That back in the day person is gone. And that is a very humbling experience to realize that 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 whole person that you identified with isn't even relevant anymore. Mm. And then you're sitting there and asking yourself, like, who are you? Like, and I'm watching this workout in the rearview mirror, and now I'm afraid. And I haven't been afraid in, since I was on that beach, you know, being told I was a little kid and I made it run down. And to sit and be afraid as a 45-year-old is, is um, it, it, it was a life experience for me. Um, and, and, and so I, I remember the class, when it finished, they kind of converged in the middle and kind of like doing a workout debrief. And, and when that happened, I started up the car and, and I backed up and I drove the hour home. And, and um, if I've ever had a midlife crisis, that was it. You know, that was a bad moment. I mean, to reconcile that you're not who you thought you were. Um, and, and that's something that, that I realized, you know, when people, like even coming to the seminar that you went to, Nikki, like people are nervous. Mm-hmm. They don't know what to expect. And if you can get anybody to walk in the door, then, then what your job is to do is to relieve them of those concerns and, and to let them know that, you know what, what I'm interested in is, is, is building your confidence because that confidence is the thing that's going to make you come back the following day. And I happen to work with an amazing coach, um, Sherry Keener at Santa Cruz Central, and she did that. She restored the confidence that I, that I, I needed. And um, yeah, that's the thing as, as, as coaches, you know, it's interesting. Like one of the things that people talk about is the opportunity that I have with working with a lot of people. But the reality is, is that, you know, the wins that those people had, those are their wins. That, that's the thing that they did. Um, the win I get is that retention. You know, like mm-hmm. I, I think back on, you know, I mean, working with Fraser and Froning for five years in some way, somehow um, the workouts that I'm providing them and they believe I can continue to provide resonate and provide value so much value that they want to come back the following day. Mm-hmm. And retention is really, I think, how we should be judged as, you know, affiliate owners and coaches. It is just crazy to me that you, an elite triathlon athlete with national, international titles and all these things, you know, took a break and then saw all these chicks working out and you were like, hell no, not me, <laughs> drove away and yeah. somehow found it in you to come back. Yeah, I made myself come back the next day. Mm-hmm. I mean, that's that's the switch, right? That's the switch that flipped and now look at 
training the best athletes in the entire world and having them come back to you day in and day out and referring their friends and getting new people under your belt and look at all the new up and coming athletes you have that you work with. I mean, I'll look at you and, and the work you've done with Haley Adams and how crazy good yeah. she is getting has gotten already. I mean, that is such a mark of excellence. And the fact that you can tell this type of story, <laughs> you know, and how it affected you. I mean, we've all been there. Like you said, we all had that moment, whether it was in the gym or not, where you have this sort of fall from grace. Who am I? What am I doing? Yeah. We've all had our first day in the gym. I mean, it's so terrifying. It really is. I mean, it really, really is. I think that you have to, as a coach, build this library of experiences to become Mm well-rounded. And I think that, that a lot of coaches, these authoritative coaches that just yell and scream, I, I don't understand that approach because if you have lost your fitness and you're insecure, the last thing I want to do is have someone yell at me. Mm. I don't want that. I, I, I am, I'm missing a, my confidence and I am here to try and find that confidence in, in, in some way. And if you start yelling at me, then I'm going to be overwhelmed and I'm going to cower. And it's no different than coaching a kid or, you know, a middle-aged man or woman that, you know, their family got in their way, their job, some family related issue, and they just lost their fitness. And that's the thing is like you, if you don't have those library of experiences, then, then that person's going to look over your shoulder for something that satisfies that need. Is it like that coaching the elite athletes too? Like, are they just as fragile or, or, you know, have, have that lack of confidence when it comes to at least what they're coming to you for, which is their aerobic capacity? That's what makes these elites very difficult. So an elite athlete, the, the, what they have is this incredible, this foundation of knowledge. Um, and they know from doing workouts after workouts, they know. And so part of it is, is that they want to be challenged um, intellectually. They want to be challenged mentally. They can listen to a workout and they know immediately the time domain that they believe that they can attack it. They Mm -hmm. know their sticking points within that workout, um, you know, where they need to make their move uh, in order to make the sprint for the finish, or maybe the sticking point is a particular movement within the workout. Uh, They know all of that detail. So you need to challenge them. You can't just give them something easy and they smash it because they don't fall for that trick. <laughs> and so part of it is, is the challenge in writing things that, that provide that level of stimulus. The other thing, though, is, is that these athletes, if they fail, especially in the weeks leading up to the games, their, their, their mental side of it is very, very fragile. I always like think about it. It's like, wow, I never want to laugh. I never want to be condescending. I never, because they're not going to understand sarcasm. Right. They're not. They're too too far in the hole at that point. Yeah. Right. So you have to provide workouts that challenge them mentally, that they know emotionally, this is going to be difficult, but you know what, if they execute it properly, they're going to actually complete it and it will build their confidence and that's what they need. And so, and if it didn't, then the whole earth will unravel and they'll just auger that airplane into the ground. We forget, like I constantly have to remind myself and I'm constantly reminded, especially in interviewing these people, uh, you know, on the floor at these events, like uh, they're, they're just as 
nervous, questioning yeah. themselves, whatever, as we are on a daily basis when we walk into our affiliates. Like yeah. I have to constantly remind myself because I forget that they're just the same as us. Like in my mind, they're these superheroes and they're capable of anything physically. And so they're hardened mentally and, and all this stuff, but they're not. They're just yeah. as fragile as we are. And when my friend time sucks, I want to be coddled for the rest of the night. Like it's, it, it matters to me and they're the same. It's wild. Well, I mean, like, so Fraser was just over the other day and we were talking about, um, they were doing that triple three event, um, uh-huh. at regionals, uh, in 2017 or something. Yeah. 2018. Yeah. 2018. Yeah. Okay. 18. And, and he was so bummed. Um, the, the, I think it was 18. Yeah. So there was the, you know, the, the three mile run and it was on an air runner and mm-hmm. he bombed in that event. And it was not only did he bomb in it, he couldn't figure out it was that the, the post workout trauma that he had was like, what happened? Because he had a performance that was not even remotely close to the competitors and he was trying to figure it out. But it was also, he came up afterwards and he's like, I'm so sorry I let you down. And, and, and part of it is, is the weight that they feel that they know the effort that, that their coaches put in to help them. And, and part is, is that they, they feel like I got to deliver on that level. And yeah, I was crushing like when that happened because, uh, you know, I, I, you know what, it's time to move forward and, and learn from this. But part is, is like, you know what, he, he felt like he let me down. He disappointed me. And yeah, those things are heavy. Um, Did that those just are really heavy. Like, is he still thinking about that? He, it was two nights ago. That's crazy. <laughs> but I mean, that's the thing is that, that a lot of these athletes, that's what the greats do is they come in and they, they have these puzzles. Yeah. Um, and they're like a math equation. You know, like, like one of the things that, that Frazier, um, you know, he almost drowned in that run, swim, run. Um, that 1.5 mile run into the 500 meter swim into the 1.5 mile run. What was that? 20 games, 2017, 18, 18. Yeah. I, she said they all come together. And what happened was, is that he entered the water first. He rounds the first buoy. He's going across parallel to the shore to the second buoy. After he crosses that third, that second buoy, he just goes straight in and then he does the 1.5 mile run. Well, he rounds the first buoy in first place, and then the faster swimmers started catching him. And make a long story short, when a fast swimmer caught him, he tried to stay. And next thing you know, he's bobbing in the water that Brent Fikowski kind of grabbed him and pulled him out of the water. And, you know, he made his way through that swim. And then, you know, he ran the 1.5 finishing. I think he finished sixth or something. I mean, it's crazy that he almost drowned that day and he finishes sixth. But here's a guy that there is a major problem. And mm-hmm. how do you solve that? And these athletes, the greats, are constantly diving into the detail. How did that happen? And they have to be convinced of the answer. That's the thing is that you can't just like say, oh, well, you know, what we need to do is we need to do more swimming and and, you know, you do more swimming and, and now you'll be able to stay with that person if they go past you. That's not the solution. Why did he almost drown that day? What happened? 
What was the major limitation? What was the secondary limitation? What was the tertiary limitation? And one of the things I found was, is that, you know, if we all run real fast and we, we get exhausted, all we have to do is just stop and put our hands on our knees. Mm-hmm. But how do you do that in the water? Yeah, you can't. You can't. <laughs> and so what I realized is like, you know what? If you, you, you need to find a way to swim slower and be able to recover. Mm-hmm. And that became something real. Um, the other thing was, is that we realized that when he, when he made his move to stay, he accelerated his kick. He went from a two-beat kick to an eight-beat kick, eight kicks per one cycle of the arms. And um, when he did that, the oxygen went down to his legs. He consumed all of that and quickly went above his maximum sustainable intensity while swimming above his lactate threshold, stood, stayed there too long. And you know what? He blew up. Mm-hmm. And so the prescription was, is that we've got to teach you how to swim slow um, so that you can recover no matter what. And then the second is, is that, you know, what we need to do is we need to focus on your kicking. No fins, short fins, long fins, lots of kicking. He called it fluffy filler work. Didn't even count it in his swims. Um, <laughs> and then the other thing, when we were kicking together, he said to me, he said, you know, your hip flexor is burning on fire. I'm like, no, mine's fine. Like, I, no, my kick is good. Nope. And he's like, I can't do anymore. My hip flexors. And what we found was his hip flexors, even though he's got a phenomenal background in weightlifting, his hip flexors were the limitation in the movement of kicking. So what I had to do is build up the muscular stamina in that that gating movement muscle group, as well as work on the kick. And that's what athletes need to know. They need to buy into it. They need to believe it because if you don't solve that puzzle, they'll turn into a head case. I love the the intersection of like stories and science and your background. I mean, that's what makes your course so cool, I think. And that's what makes you so valuable as a coach as well to these athletes is you're like, well, I know exactly what I'm talking about. And I could bore you with the scientific details. And here's like a chart of the human anatomy. And here's the, the direction of the this and the that. But also, you know, I can tell you how Fraser did the thing. And I can tell you how Katrin did the other thing. And here's how we, I mean, that's, for uh, for an athlete and a coach. And also, I mean, there were plenty of people in the course that I took that weren't coaches that just have a vested yeah. interest in learning how to increase their own aerobic capacity. And I think just kind of seeing you and hanging out. Um, that's what makes it so interesting is the the combination of all of those things. It's such a, well, such a well-rounded piece of education. Know, Nicole Carroll. So there was two things that she said. So she came to a course, boy, this was... I, So no one knows this story other than Heidi. So we happened to want to go visit. um, (laughs) We went to Boulder um, over New Year's and and I had been working with Camille since June of 2013. And so we would stay at their house and I've known Matt and Sheree Chan and, and um, we decide to to go to Boulder. And in order to pay for the trip, I, I decided to do it CrossFit Roots, a seminar. And um, we had an amazing time. Uh, we were there with Tasha and Nicole and, and just hanging out just, you know, over that holiday period. Well, we decided, you know, to like do the snowshoeing adventure at night. And we were out there and it was Matt and Cherie, Dave and, and uh, Camille and, and Nicole and Tosh and, and Heidi and myself. And we were in the Rocky Mountain National Forest and it was all of us. And... <laughs> And 
we got lost up there. We were out there and it was probably 10 o'clock at night. We're trying to find our way back to the, the house where we were starting from. And, oh yeah. And Camille had the only tiny little headlamp. It was teeny, teeny. And <laughs> so this was like on New Year's Eve. Or like Poor planning, you guys. <laughs> but this was Tosh's whole deal. Like this is Tosh. And so... So I we're on this thing and it's like four or five hours in and we're going across this ridge and I'm pretty confident we're going to make our way out in about 45 minutes. But I see Tosh about a hundred meters back behind us. And he's like, he's sitting back there, like kind of following us. We all have snowshoes on and it was beautiful. It was clear night, fresh fallen snow. It was so beautiful, no wind. And we're working our way across this ridge line. And I decided to go back and just hang out with him. I mean, let's face it, you know, Tosh is a guy of character and um, you never know when you go and talk to him. And so I, I, I go back and I just want to just hang out for a little while. Cause most of what we were doing was in silence. I go back there and I'm like, what's going on? How do you come here? He's all, I just want to sit in the back. He says, get back in formation. And I'm like, well, what's going on? Like, you know, you know, you good. And he's like, yeah, no, I'm good. Just get back in formation. I'm going, Hey Tosh, you know, a curiosity. If like a mountain lion or something like, like, and he's all, I've been following those two eyes, those eyes that have been following us now for the last two and a half hours. I've been tracking them. Don't worry. I got it. I'm like, what eyes? Wait, what? I don't even know any eyes. He's uh-uh. like, he's telling me there's something following us for two and a half hours. And I'm like, what are you talking about? He's all just get in formation. He says, I got it. I'm like, do you got a gun? <laughs> he's all, why the F would I have a gun with you guys? I'm like, but you said you got it. And he's all, exactly, I got it. Whatever comes, I got it. I'm like, (laughs) how do you get it? I don't even know what that means. You have a bow and arrow I can't see. I have no idea. I'm like, okay. I'm like, and I go ripping and Heidi's at the back of the line, right? And I'm like, Heidi, we got to get in front of Camille. (laughs) 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 Because there's there's a polar bear tracking us. We gotta be in the front. (laughs) (laughs) So that was such a good time that the night before the seminar, I get a text from Nicole Carroll, right? Head of CrossFit training. I mean, she is, she is incredibly on, on so many levels, brilliant, brilliant. I mean, she's an OG, but she's head of CrossFit training. She's incredible in programming. She is the one. And, um, I know her as a friend. Well, so I get this text and she says, Tosh and I have decided to change our flights and um, we're going to come to your seminar. Mm. And I'm like, awesome. I write back. Yeah. I'm so excited because she's my friend. Well, Cherie Chan's sitting there and she's like, do you understand what's going to happen tomorrow? She's going to sit in the back and she's going to take notes the entire time. You better be on your game. If you're not, you should be freaking out. Oh no. And I'm like, <laughs> Oh my gosh, now I'm nervous. But for the first time, I felt that what I felt before doing an Ironman, that adrenaline rush, that surge, that anxiety. And I loved it. It was like, oh, how funny. And it, it put me on a path. I'm doing seminars that, that recreated that lost feeling of competing, mm-hmm. that fear, that adrenaline. I missed it. And it came that night. And I'm like, this is awesome. And, um, yeah, so I did the seminar with her, and and sure, Cherie said she sat in the back. She took notes the entire time, 
And she said two things to me. She said, you know what? That story about you getting into the sport, that must always be part of your course. You need to share that story. The second thing that she said is that, you know what you did was your job is to provide an experience for everybody that walks in the door. The problem is, is that you don't know their athletic background or their educational background, and mm. that doesn't matter. Mm. You must provide an experience across the entire spectrum of knowledge and experience, and that's the goal. If you don't, then you have failed as the presenter. And I'm like, that's really fascinating. And so I've always, I've always stuck with those two things. Um, yes, since that was in 2015. Wow. So the course has obviously evolved a lot since then. And I know that you impart like whatever new knowledge that you gain as, as you go, but this sounds like those foundational bits have been there for, for quite some time now. I think that's the thing is that coaches are shaped by, you know, their, their experiences. And, and the thing is, is that I'm really a thinker where I sit and, and think through things. And why do I feel that way? And where does that come from? Um, but the number one is, is, you know, I grew up very insecure mm-hmm. and, you know, then I, 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 I was born with genetic gifts and, and I built some confidence around that. And so I know from my own experiences, um, look, any coach can write workouts that are, would crush you, but what's the point? If you finish dead last in a workout, how many times are you going to want to do that and come back? Mm. You're just not. And, and kids feel the same way as adults. And so part of it is, is, you know, if we're always featuring the biggest and the baddest and the strongest, then really our community is getting left behind. And I want to make sure that that message gets delivered to anybody that I, I work with. Because, you know, I make a comment like Fraser, Fraser, even Froning, Froning ran a 520 mile, Kalipa ran a 520 mile, Fraser 505 mile. That's amazing for a recreational runner. Yeah. But if you compare it to a high school boy, it, it wouldn't even make the team. <laughs> right? Sorry, boys. <laughs> you're, you're cut. You're cut. You're cut. <laughs> yeah. So it's about perspective that, that you have to realize. I, I even think about my days in triathlons. You know what? I did eight hours a day. Yeah. Are a full-time job. Of movement. It wasn't that. I mean, I would do four-hour bike rides. Six-hour bike rides. I rode down the coast of California a thousand miles in four days because I couldn't figure out anything else to do. Mm-hmm. And I taped my running shoes because it wasn't enough fitness in the day. What I'm saying is, is that I look back on my days and it's like the amount of time that I spent training was significantly greater than where athletes are today. Um, and I take that in and it's, it's part of my perspective that I believe that these athletes can do more, but the evolution of the sport isn't there yet. Mm-hmm. Right. I'll, I'll ask you this one question to, to sort of wrap things up, but do you, in all the people that you have the privilege of working with and throughout the years as well, because I know some of them like Jason Kalipa you started with obviously isn't, you know, competing the way that he was and, and you're not training with him the way that you did. Do you have a favorite athlete to work with? Yeah. Catherine. Or is that like picking your, it's your easy. Catherine. Oh, it's easy. Okay. Yeah, that one's easy. Yeah, Katrin. Um, so I got to know Katrin in 2013, uh, September. So she had sent an email to Jason Kalipa. And uh, she 
she sent Jason a, a note after the games and and asked Jason if if he would be willing to coach her. Hmm. And uh, Jason wrote her back and said, you know, I'm not really coaching and, um, you know, but good luck to you. Hmm. And she writes back and she says, hey, so I'm really not interested in, in complete coaching. What I'm interested in, would you be willing to work with me on my endurance? And Jason writes back and said, I've copied my endurance coach, Chris Hinshaw, on this email. I don't do my endurance programming. It comes from Chris. I, within seconds of getting that, Catherine sends me a note and says, just so you know, I had no interest in Jason coaching me, but I didn't know how to get your contact information. <laughs> and I was only trying to get you. Oh. <laughs> and so I'm like, wow, that's pretty incredible. Innovative. <laughs> yeah. And the thing is, is like, I, it's been nice to watch her evolve as um, an athlete, but also as an individual, I, I find her um, very grounded that she realizes the role she has and the opportunity that she has and the mistakes that she has made um, as an athlete, but also as, as, as a person. And she rolls those all up. And, and I think that not only has she created great things, but I, I, truly believe that she is going to continue to create great things, especially with women mm -hmm. um, in the future. And I will always um, be supportive of, of whatever she does because of that, that integrity that she has and that forward thinking in helping others, leveraging her experience um, to, to really improve a community. Is there anyone you're dying to work with that hasn't reached out to you? Well, so the nerve, the nerve wracking person was uh, Cara Webb uh, in 2018. So in November of 2017, um, I was, so I'm, I was a founding partner in brute strength. And I heard that, that brute um, uh, got Cara Webb mm -hmm. and I happened to have a phone call with her in, I want to say maybe it was October of, of 2017 and we're on this call and here she had placed second in the CrossFit games just behind Tia by a small amount. That was a rough year. Well, you know, what's crazy was, is that she put socks on in that run, some run and that run, some run by putting socks on that timing of it, whoever advised her to do that cost her the games just by putting on socks. I mean, Ugh. that, but that's where like a little experience. So anyway, I'm with her, I'm talking to her on the phone and I said, so I'm just curious, you know, like, what are your goals? And she says, Chris, you know what my only goal is? And I'm like, I, what? and she's like, I want to run a mile under six minutes. Oh, and I'm like, that's your only goal. I go, do you want to win the CrossFit game? She's all, yeah, of course I'd like to win the CrossFit games. I mean, that's why I'm doing it, but I want to run under six minutes. I'm like, how fast are you? And she said, 637. Hmm. Like, oof, I don't know. That's a lot. She was a risky athlete to take on because she had placed second the year before. And I don't know if she was going to be able to do that. I just, I had no idea. But you know what? Like I said at the start, I'm going to take it on. Hmm. And um, at around April, late April, we did a test. And um, I thought, you know, based upon that test, I think she can run sub six. So I told her the whole laps and this is what you need to do. And she ran five minutes and 47 seconds. Ooh. 
Yeah, that's legit. That's and crazy. Even though, you know, I mean, the games, you can't control the workouts. The fact is, is that her aerobic fitness was dialed in on a level that had she had never experienced before. And yeah, I think that, um, yeah, that was, that was one that was a real huge challenge. And I was really nervous about um, but after Car Webb, honestly, I, I feel pretty good about, you know, Kristen Holte last year, I really, she reached out um, and she's obviously an incredible talent. Yeah. Uh, I worked with her all of uh, 2018. So we started in November of um, 18 and then we worked all of 19 and um, yeah, she went on to, you know, play second there. That was a risky one. Anybody that's done well, I feel like I'm excited about because if I can create something that wasn't there, um, then, then I've done my part as a coach and I've opened up opportunity for them. You know, the thing that drives me with all of these athletes is they have this limited window Mm. and if they miss that window, it's over. Yeah. And I could have been better. I I look back, if I knew about CrossFit, you know, and the, the methodology, you know, and, and the importance of, of heavy lifting and maintaining of strength, I could have been better. Um, but I, my, my time's passed and I don't want athletes to make those mistakes. And so my job I feel is, is yeah, I coach and things, but I also want to mentor. I want them to, to realize that, you know what, this is important and I want you to understand it. If they understand it and want to not do it, that's fine. But my job is, is that, you know what, I need to make sure you're aware. I need to make sure you understand. And if it's not clear, then that also I failed. I have to make sure I continue sharing it in a way that is, it resonates. And that, that takes a lot of time to be able to learn that, that Mm -hmm. skill. So is there anyone that you look at that you're like, wow, this endurance is a huge hole in his or her game. I wish they would call me. I wish, uh, you know, they could definitely go from 20th to 10th if they would just call me. <laughs> and I, I have those discussions, you know, uh, uh, all the time. Um, but the part of it is, is that if athletes, it's amazing to me that, that here there are, are masters athletes that want a podium and they haven't intended the course. How on earth... Uh, do you think that you're going to compete with somebody? You know, I made a comment and probably wasn't the smoothest comments, but I made a comment and, you know, Hunter McIntyre stayed at our house for 10 days and I like the kid. He co-coached with me at Power Monkey. I, I like him. I like his, his fire. Um, and he's kind of got this, this, this gimmicky act of personality like Howard Stern, you know, to create attention yeah, and it worked. Yeah. But, but he's a good, he's a good genuine kid. He's a good kid, right? He's a good, you know what, wholesome, good kid. Yeah. And um, I enjoyed my time with him, but someone said, wow, what a genius he is. He's going around, you know, the country and he's working with, you know, a, a bunch of different coaches, a bunch of different apps, and he's pulling like the, the, the good stuff from them. Like, I kind of feel that's one of the dumber things I've heard. What are <laughs> you talking about? But he's getting the juice from you. He didn't spend 10 days and he's getting the, just the cream off of it. And I'm like, okay, Frazier, he's been working with me for five years. Do you realize the level of precision that Frazier gets in his workouts? He gets 
the duration of his intervals. He gets the total volume of his workouts. He gets the intensity, the time domains of every one of those distances and the workouts. And he gets the time domains of his recovery, whether it's active or passive rest. He gets all of it with precision. You know what Hunter gets? He gets vanilla because I don't know the guy. Right. I don't, I don't have a level of precision. And that's the thing. Are you actually thinking that he has a chance of catching him? There's nobody in the sport that's going to catch a Frazier. It's just not going to happen because mm-hmm. he's just too far ahead. It's going to take somebody new in the sport. That's why Haley Adams is a threat because Haley, her background, the way in which she got started was different. She focused on building an aerobic foundation. Haley Adams can go out and do a 13-mile run tomorrow mm-hmm. and be okay the next day. How many games athletes can do that? That's the base that she has. Imagine as a 19-year-old, she just turned 19 in, in December. Oh my God, what a big... Having that talent. That's, that's crazy. where Yeah, so that's where it's like, for me, you know, like, I, I, I think that, that, that my interest is, is working with athletes in different countries and now um, elevating the globe. I think that what Glassman did with creating these national champions was genius. And it's created a, a groundswell of, of, of growth because of that opportunity. The key is, is that there's two things. One, we have to continue to provide coaching mm-hmm. uh, to give equality in those, those countries. Um, and then we have to provide that knowledge. And that's why I do all of my seminars. I I travel, you know, to visit them because I want to be the one, not only to share that information, but I also want to learn what do they know and don't know. And I want to help make that happen because that to me is, is where the growth, this sport and the longevity is going to come from. We need to have this, this global equality. I love it. You see me this quiet for this long, Nikki. I know. I was like, well, are I you was, frozen it, over and there? No, I'm like, just taking it in. You were super attentive the whole time. Yeah. I love it. No, I was taking notes. I learned a lot of stuff tonight. I learned that uh, you're, uh, you know, a lot of this is passed down from DNA. And so my, my shitty cardio capacity comes from my mom. I yep. learned that. <laughs> yeah. And uh, I learned that you think I have good old days, which I don't. I'd like to throw that out there. I mean, well, maybe these you haven't are, peaked yet. Yeah, these are my good old days. Like right now when I'm lifting the women's RX, this is these are my best this is my best physical performance ever. You are uh, living your best life. I am. I learned you know that My mom's 86 and you know what? She hasn't peaked yet. You don't so, think so? Well, she said she hasn't. Oh, okay. Yeah. <laughs> Yeah, I, I haven't peaked yet. I learned Fraser's human. He almost drowned. That was like that was really interesting. Isn't that crazy? Yeah. It's the so fact incredible. that he's human. Yeah, it's, it's you know the fact that you almost ran. You know there were a couple um, a couple of stories like that. Uh, one especially from the Masters division that I remember from that year. But like putting yeah. athletes in the water is really scary sometimes. <laughs> they gotta yeah. figure that shit out. Yeah, mm-hmm. yeah, it, it is the whole the whole concept is interesting to me though. Hearing it, like we had uh, we had a games athlete on last night and uh, asked him, you know, do you have a coach? You know, because he he's a coach and. And he's, and he just blatantly said, no, I don't have a coach. Like, why do I want to learn what everyone else is learning? I'll be just like them. And I like, was and, thinking about that while he was talking. Yeah. And I, and I say mm-hmm. this with love cause it's my coach. Um, yeah. but, uh, so it's really, really interesting to hear the other side of that and, to, and 
for me, more importantly, is is hearing what Fraser goes to. I think we all have this kind of untouchable thought of Matt, like he's like he was just born this way. He's just mm-hmm. born a Greek god and and can go out and do these things. And you don't, you know, as as just a casual CrossFitter like myself, like you just don't sit around thinking about, all right, you know, Fraser's sitting there looking at the intimate details and looking back on his failures from years ago and still yeah. dwelling on those things. And that's what makes him a champion. And I think that, you know, it, it really undersells. And now it actually kind of makes me more pissed off when people, you know, try to make it sound like he's just born that way. Like he just works so but, hard for it. But he's also, John, willing to do what others aren't. You know, it's interesting that if you do the same thing, why are you expecting a different result? And, and you know, when I met Fraser in the end of 14, he asked if I would be willing to help him with his endurance. And I, I told him, I said, you know, Matt, I, 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 I just want to talk about the risk associated with what we're, what we're about to embark on. I just want to make sure that, that you're aware of my concerns because here's a guy from a weightlifting background trained at the Olympic training center in Colorado. I mean, this was, that was his sport. And although I had never worked with an athlete that hadn't gotten stronger during, you know, this initial on-ramping of, of, of endurance type training, he was a concern. And so I expressed that to him. And he says, Chris, you know what? I know that if I don't fix this, I'm never going to win. And I never want to finish second ever again. And I want to do something that fixes this weakness of mine. And if it knocks me out of the top 10, it's fine by me, but I want to win. And so I have to actually try. And I'm like, that works for me. And that's the difference. I find that that these athletes, they're not willing to take a risk. They're not willing to do something. They're not willing to learn. I, our community is unlike anything out there. Do you realize you could contact any coach in our community and say, send an email? We're all accessible. Can you just send me a sampling of programming? I'd like to take a look at it. I have a thousand workouts. I could send a spreadsheet in, in three minutes. Here you go take a look, but they don't do it. Mm-hmm. They don't do it. And the problem is, is that they're never going to compete with somebody that is doing it. Yeah. Well, it's, it's Frazier is so interesting to me because, you know, of all of that, the one thing he's not willing to do is lose. Yeah. And, and so it's just, it's really, really impressive. I guess everything I learn about him, I become more and more impressed. Like it's a, as a casual car, again, as a casual CrossFitter, when I first started, I thought oh, I was kind of a cocky guy. He's just naturally gifted. And like over the last two or three years, as I've watched him compete and have met people that know him. And now, you know, hearing from you, it's like, I can't be more impressed by him. Like it, he's it's just unreal. He yeah. truly works hard um, and is committed to becoming greater every day. The thing, it's interesting, isn't it? Frazier doesn't put out any of his content as far as his workouts. I mean, all the workouts that I've written for him, I have them, mm-hmm. but I'm not going to release them um, because he wants to hold that in confidence. He doesn't share that information, which should be eye-opening for a lot of people. Like, what's he really doing? Yeah. That is interesting, but he's willing to have the same aerobic capacity endurance coach as other great athletes in the field. But keep in mind, what I'm giving him is not what other people are getting. It's hyper-specific. Yeah. Matter of fact, I don't think I'm, you know, down to 
just working with Rich and the Mayhem team and and Matt. I don't, you know, that's the thing is that the the the, the 2013 years of easy, you know, pacing workouts and and teaching people that you don't have unlimited energy and to control the release of that energy or consumption of that energy, those days are over. Mm-hmm. You these workouts that these guys are doing are incredibly complicated and it requires time. And so, you know, I can't do like I had 55 people that I wrote workouts for in 2015 at the no. games. <laughs> no. It's too much. Yeah. And that was where it's like I um I I I don't one don't have the time to do that, but also those workouts were relatively simple to write. Now they're complicated. Yeah. Well, I will say at least on a more slightly more generic level that um after taking the course, you sort of are unlocked to a lot of the training uh workouts and and information and guidelines that you uh prepare, Chris. And so even though I'm not a games athlete, nor will I ever be a games athlete, the more generic level programming that you're able to provide the people who attend your courses has been super helpful. And I find myself and my husband too will be in class being like, oh man, we just finished this terrible thing. It was awful. I just want to lay on the floor. I'm like, oh, Chris said we should get on the bike for a while and do the active recovery. God damn it. it was so fun having you in the it class. It was awesome. Because you're so animated. So John, I don't use any <laughs> notes in the seminar. At all. all I mean, none. I do seven hours and, and, um, but the cadence of the course is dictated by what the audience is doing. And so Nikki would like, she's very theatrical. No, so, come on. <laughs> <laughs> and so, Nobody believes you. <laughs> so you would say certain things and, and, um, it would be like this charge of energy. And it was just, it's, it's a, it's a fun moment when you share pieces and it's like, yeah. And it's like, well, you knew it, you would like, wait, hold on. What, wait, what, what was that? Mm-hmm. And it just, all of a sudden it makes you realize as, as participants, it's like, I had no idea. I knew that. Mm-hmm. And you're kind of lighting the spark in people of like, I'm way smarter than I thought. I just didn't put it in that context. And it opens up people's world of like, wow, I really didn't waste my time over the last, you know, one, two or three years. Yeah. I know a lot. Yeah. And there's no greater, there's no greater endorsement than that. Sign up for the course, (laughs) make you feel smarter than you realize. Yeah. It's just opening up that world, like telling that story about Spencer Hendel and, and, you know, his incredible job in doing a hundred handstand pushups and, you know, he was always doing three of them and then resting for 10. His pacing was beautiful. But as I said, like Spencer, if you're always doing three and 10, then how does your body learn anything other than three and 10? Mm-hmm. And now he's like, oh, and that's the purpose of CrossFit, right? Constantly varied is in there because our body adapts to that stimulus. And so now he's sitting there and I love bringing this up because it's like, what do you do to fix that? what do you do to fix a guy that wants to get better at doing a hundred handstand pushups for time? It's the same thing, John, like how, you know, think about your max number of pushups that you can do unbroken. And why can't you do one more? If you want to get better at doing pushups, then you need to tell your coach what's preventing you from doing that one more. You have to tell me. And once you tell me, I could then fix it. And so it's cool when people are sitting there going, I wouldn't even know what to tell them. Mm -hmm. What do I say? 
And it's simple. It's, it's, and they don't realize the simplicity, but it's one of two things. Really, it comes down to, is your strength preventing you from doing one more? Are you just not strong enough to do a handstand push-up, to do a push-up? Is it strength? Or do you just get tired? If it's just that you get tired, then what do I need to do? I need to now improve your ability to recover. Just the same way I would improve your ability to do more volume. What do I do? To get you to run a half marathon, I just add more volume in every week. And you know what happens is the body adapts to that increase in stimulus. And so the next logical step in your training is an unbroken 13.1 miles. Well, recovery is the same way. I just focus on not your intensity, not your strength, not your power output, not your volume. I focus on your ability to recover, your ability to clear fatigue. Damn, I kind of want to go do some push-ups now. I'm telling you. Nikki well, you've got to go it, to though. this course. I will. Up your ass with a PVC pipe. That's what happens. <laughs> that well, I, I, I will say, just to kind of get us wrapped up here, you know, the one thing I hope a lot of people get from this is just the, the overwhelming positivity that comes from your coaching, Chris. Like yeah. You're coaching and, and work with Mayhem now, and so you'll see Scott uh, Panchik. It was was and is occasionally a coach of mine and uh he had, he and i had the same first coach so when i started crossfit he started at the same gym i was at and we had the same coach and she was the opposite of what you're describing hmm. was a, a shouting yelling coach i mean i distinctly remember i would you know i was new not nearly the physical specimen i am now and no, uh, I, I'd, I'd be in the middle of a lot and I'd be grabbing my knees and looking up and she would shout at me across the gym and go, what are you looking up for? God can't save you. you oh. know, she, I swear to God, <laughs> like these are the kind of things she would yell at me and she oh. would do the same thing to Scott and she'd do the same thing to her husband who ended up finishing second at the games uh, as a master's athlete. And um, I would watch her husband who wasn't as mentally strong as Scott. Scott's raised in a very positive family, great family structure. And so he could handle it, but her husband couldn't. And he was, this guy was an amazing athlete, as good as anyone I've ever seen, including, you know, Froning and some of those, but he, he, he couldn't handle the mental beatdowns that she was giving him and never had success at CrossFit until they divorced bluntly. Um, So if you get a chance, talk to Scott, he'll tell you some great stories from this woman as a coach, but, but uh, the, the point of the story is, is that, you know, I hope, anyone that's listening to this, that is a coach walks away with this message of, you know, the positivity that you can uh, give your athletes as you're coaching them means the world to them from a success yeah. standpoint, not just, you know, you know, how they feel about you as a person. It just really, it means everything, what it means to them from a physical standpoint. Mm-hmm. Yeah. I mean, that's really an important thing is, you know, it's funny that people say that there's two things that happen in my so the, in the seminar, so we do a post-course survey and they provide feedback and it's part of being a preferred course with CrossFit. And, and the coolest thing is that people say, and it's the number one by far, I wish there was more time, mm-hmm. which is shocking considering they have no idea when they walk in what we're going to give them. None. And yet they want it like a day two. Can we do a level two, which is super cool. But the other was the passion. And I never feel in my side that there's passion. Um, but people say it all the time. And maybe it's just because, you know what, I'm genuinely happy. I love being able to be a part of this community. 
I think the main thing that, that coaches and the mistake they make is that they're not aware as an athlete. We always remember the last rep we do. And if the athlete leaves the gym that day and feels that they failed, whether it's the tone of the coach, the behavior of the coach that they had towards their performance, or they've just really struggled. You could have had 10 amazing intervals and then you fail on number 11. You're going to remember number 11. Mm -hmm. And that's the thing is like, we have to realize that that's what people are going to drive home with. And that's where the programming has to allow success, but also the challenge. And that's a hard thing to write. It's a very difficult thing, but you must build that confidence. Well, I, I appreciate it as someone who likes to be told how great I am all the time. <laughs> uh, and if you were with me, John, I'd tell you all the time. Oh, yeah. You, of course. Yep. Build and then your you knowledge, think- build your confidence. Yeah, then you'd see me actually do CrossFit, and you'd be like, "Oh man, <laughs> I'm, I'm, I'm gonna have to take it all back, take it all back." Well, Chris, we really appreciate you being on. It's been uh, an absolute Thanks, pleasure, John. and uh, me too. Man, super- this is awesome for me. I love your the whole podcast and what you do, the content, the range of people, the dynamics really between you guys. Have no it's idea so good. What we're doing. We're just faking it. 100%. It's, all, it's all. It's all Nikki. It's, it's all, all fake. <laughs> Did you notice I didn't swear all that much tonight, though? I've been trying. You did. You did a great job. Did you go, Nikki? I'm curious. So I was just asking. um, So Sammy Monez, Matt Frazier's Mm -hmm. wife. Yeah. I said, you know, she she's able to turn on swearing and turn it off. Like, Mm -hmm. and I go, did you grow up in a house with no swearing? She's all, yeah, no swearing. She says, I I can manage it and control it. Same with me. Mm -hmm. Did you grow up in a house where you can swear? Um, Yes, I can swear in two languages in my house. (laughs) (laughs) <laughs> that's why it's gotta be why yeah, a little so, rough around the edges if you will <laughs> well that's why in my course i don't swear ever like i never have ever matter of fact in feedback before it's like it was refreshing that he didn't swear huh, yeah yeah <laughs> see i try to do research on uh the people that are on the podcast and find out if they're offended by it and then i give nikki the heads up nikki he no f-bombs today no yeah. f-bombs like so and so is can, very I, proper don't yeah no you don't care i know you don't I care i can totally handle it I don't need to swear when we're talking about so much positivity. Gosh, <laughs> All right. That, I love it. Well, thank you both. I mean, seriously, truly grateful. Nikki, thanks for again making the arrangements to, no, to of put course. this together and this coming is so to the fun. course. And, and yeah. Yeah, I highly recommend anyone listening, if you haven't done the aerobic capacity course, check out. You can get the link from um, the CrossFit HQ website, or you can, is it just aerobic capacity? Yep, aerobiccapacity.com. Either one, highly recommend if you're a coach, even if you're not, if you just want to nerd out on CrossFit things, these courses are really fun. And and Chris and Heidi are the best humans. So highly recommend. Thank you. Highly recommend. All right. Well, uh, for everyone listening, we hope you enjoyed yourself. Probably our longest podcast ever. I I know. And uh, totally worth it. So uh, thank you for listening. And we will talk to you again soon.